good morning, church. It's always such a great season to have, and, and may it be that Jesus is our focus this Christmas season. Two or three things real quickly. If uh, I've got a coffee table out in that book that might be a Christmas gift, even for non-Christians, so consider it if so. Uh, secondly, um, Christmas concert next Sunday evening, uh, two of them right here. And, of course, the Christmas Eve services, all of those are, are great invite opportunities during this season. Folks, more open to coming to Christ. Be praying and be alert to what God's doing around you, especially with lost people. Okay, imagine this. A man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning, and he played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the case and, without stopping, continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man looked at his watch and started to walk again, clearly late for work. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. His mother tugged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. Finally, the mother pushed hard, and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 people gave him money but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected $32. When he finished playing and the silence took over, no one noticed, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before his playing in the subway, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston, and the seats averaged $100. People had this incredible opportunity to listen to a world-renowned musician for free, and most were oblivious. Now, that's something, isn't it? Um, but can you imagine that most of the world, we have the opportunity to hear not just a world-renowned musician, but to connect with the God of the universe. Yeah. And we, do that, we can do that free at any time, and so many are oblivious. Now, this morning... Uh, we come in the book of Acts to a passage on prayer that is my favorite passage on prayer in the, in the book of Acts, probably my favorite passage in the book of Acts. And I think of all the passages in the Bible on prayer, it might well be the most helpful because the best way to learn about prayer is to look at the prayers in the Bible. And here is a prayer in the early church in a very remarkable circumstance. Now, here's the backstory. In Acts 3, the chapter before, Peter and John are on their way to the temple 
And it says, at the hour of prayer, one of the many subtle ways and not so subtle ways that Luke keeps before us that the early church was devoted to prayer. So they're on their way. There is a crippled man begging at that gate. That's where he was every day. He'd been crippled all of his life, and he was at least 40. Everybody knew him. And by the power of Jesus, Peter and John heal him, and he gets up, and he's shouting and praising and jumping and leaping and running. And everybody knows this man. And so the crowds come. Uh, all the excitement, wondering what is going on. Peter stands up and preaches Jesus. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, 5,000 men come to faith. And it is an incredible thing. Now, the religious leaders, I mean the main guys, they hear about this. They come, they stop it. They arrest Peter and John, throw them in prison until the next morning. And then they bring them before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, the same body that had, uh, had Jesus executed just a few months before. And they say, you stop preaching Jesus or else. And they threaten them. Now, Peter and John just have that threat from the Supreme Council who had Jesus executed, and they immediately go back to the church how does the church respond? That's where we are. We're going to pick it up. Please stand. We're going to pick it up. Acts 4, verse 23. My favorite passage in the book of Acts. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Nearly 60 references to prayer in the book of Acts because God is telling us, this is how you do church. Wood's Edge, this is what I want my church to look like, a people devoted to prayer. Now, can you imagine being in that room in the early church that day? Peter and John just came back. You know, their hair has set on fire. All that had happened, you know, with the healing, then the arrest, then the threat. 
and everything that God was doing in those days. And they tell the church, there is now a threat on our lives if we don't stop preaching Jesus. How are you going to respond if you are there in that church? Well, let me let you know how 40 years of pastoring in the Western church in America, how I think most churches would respond. This is what would happen. We would pray a little bit, and then we'd begin talking and planning and perhaps arguing and brainstorming. And, you know, we'd go for an hour and a half, two hours. And then we would pray that God would bless whatever we decided. Prayer would be the preliminary and the afterthought. That is not how they responded. The text carefully says that when they gathered together, when they heard all that, they lifted, verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God in prayer. They prayed. They may have talked some later or something, but, but that wasn't the point. And maybe they didn't even do it. They prayed with all their hearts. And we see the first of five priority principles about prayer. First one is this, that make prayer your first response always. You got a problem, you got a challenge, you got a difficulty, you got a worry, pray first. I like the way Oswald Chambers wrote it when he said, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be the first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. And so, right at the outset, we see this. When there's challenge, when there's trouble, make this your instinctive response, your immediate response, your first response. Call out to God. Pray to God. Now, here's the question that I've been raising. Are we desperate enough to have this kind of visceral need for God? Are we desperate enough? And as I've been saying in the book of Acts, you and I have a disadvantage. We have a disadvantage. Oh, here's Guy Kasky down the front row. He's been in and out of Ethiopia for 20 years. Close friend, Burhanu. Uh, you know, he was over in very, very persecuted country, even more so than Ethiopia recently. Now, those folks who are over there doing God's work in Eritrea and Somalia and Ethiopia and those kind of places, they've got an advantage over us. Now, we've got some advantages too, but they've got an advantage in this one regard is that they know how desperate they are for God because they could get killed. I mean, when his close friend was a teenager, he's beaten and tortured for Christ. That, that hadn't happened to me. And, and here's the challenge that you and I have. I know that we've got the temperature rising of resistance against the church in America, but it's a far cry from that. And we are too affluent and too comfortable to be that desperate unless God removes the veil from our eyes and we see reality as it really is, that we see the, the, the way that the family is breaking down and divorce is running rampant and there's suicide all over the place, including with teenagers, and there's slavery all about us, including right here in the Spring Woodlands area, and there's uh, addictions left and right, and there's all kind of pain and problems and unless we 
understand reality that we may have some nice houses, but we got some broken hearts all over the place. There is blood and gore. And so would it be that we would recognize things are desperate right here and we need God in our families? I mean, who here doesn't have uh, just a lot of pain in your own family? I do. Not to mention the city, the country, and the world. And so we ought to be desperate. Jackson Sinyanga in Uganda, Ken Womack, one of our elders, he's in and out of Uganda a lot, deals with Moses who knows Jackson Sinyanga. Uganda went through genocide with Idi Amin. Some of us are old enough to remember that. Then there was revival that happened, some on the other side of that. Jackson Sinyanga lived through that. He's over here in Houston talking to Christians, and Jackson Sinyanga challenged us in this way. He said, you in America are not desperate enough. You are addicted to a spirit of ease and comfort. That's too true to be good. He also said, in America, the cry of sin is louder than the cry of intercession. Church, I'm looking for some people who will be different. I'm looking for a church that will be different. That the cry of sin is dwindling and the cry of intercession is rising. Because we see how desperate we are. It cannot be so here. It cannot be. All righty. I elaborated a fair bit, but make your first response, the first principle, to be praying to God. Call out to God first. Call out to me first. Realize how desperate you are. Second principle is found in verse 24 when it says they lifted their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord. They lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now, here's another advantage they've got over us. Uh, I'm no expert on Ethiopia, but I've traveled in Africa, traveled so many places, just about everywhere except the West, and especially in the United States, there is a stronger sense of community than in our country because we were founded with deeply inbred values of individualism. And it is especially prominent here in Texas, if I could say. And um, we don't recognize how much we need the body, the family. Now, let me just pause a second to, to point out something about translation. Now, thank God for our wonderful, wonderful English translations. And one of the best things to do in your Bible study is actually not to use just one translation. Now, the ESV, I think, is the best out uh, in my judgment today. But I just I very frequently consult other translations because the one that God put here is the original. All righty. In verse 23, it says this. It says, when they were released, Peter and John, they went to their, in the, NI, in the ESV, it went to their friends. Now, I love the ESV, but I'm a little unhappy with them at this point because the word friends is not there. It's just a pronoun that is translated own, O-W-N. If you've got another translation here today, it probably says own. Most of them do. That's one of the reasons, by the way, check several translations uh, at times. Okay, now... See if it is not, friends is okay translation, but own is stronger. When Peter and John were released, what did they do? They went to their own people. This was their own. This was their family. These were their people. Now, 
if you're desperate enough and if you're persecuted enough, uh, you get that. You get that. that th- this is not, I mean, here in the United States, man, this is kind of like an activity we attend a couple of times a month. That, that, that's, not, that's not the church. The church is your people, your people, your family. Now, I know in a big church like this, you don't know everybody. I don't know everybody. But there ought to be some of you that as you press in with small groups and journey groups that you know those folks better and, and that, that those are your people and you get with them. You get with them. You don't know them from a distance. Again, the individualism in America. Okay, the second principle is to pray together. Not always. Certainly we pray uh, on our own, but there are many, many times we pray together. We pray together here this morning when I knelt here and prayed. Hopefully, you weren't tuning out. You were praying too. Wednesday nights we do it. Home groups we do it. Journey groups we do it. We pray together. Now, just think of it in a very practical way. If I'm starting a campfire out in the woods, and, and I got three or four logs, and I space those logs out very carefully and kind of get it lit, how the, how's that fire going to do? Pitiful, because I have separated the logs. Same with your spiritual life. If you live in isolation, separated from others, you are going to wither spiritually. That flame will not be white hot. Believe me on this. This is the way God created you and me to live in community, not in American individualism. Community. Pray together. God loves it. All right, we've seen two principles. And by the way, as I'm going through these five principles, be asking God, Lord God, what do you have to say for me? I am hoping that all of us will have at least one of these that God really pierces our heart about. First one, prayer is your first response because you're desperate. Secondly, we pray together at times. Thirdly, remember the greatness of God. That sounds so mundane. I think it is absolutely critical to prayer. So much so that I would say this. If you find prayer boring, and and if if we were really honest with each other and we had a show of hands, that would be about three-fourths of us. If you find prayer boring, it is because you have forgotten the greatness of God. If you remember who you're talking to, the sovereign, holy God of the universe who is crazy in love with you, your prayer will never be boring. It won't. Our Father in heaven. He is Father. He's Papa. He's the God in heaven. Remember who you're talking to. See how they prayed in verse 24. They pray this way. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, they go on and on. At the end, they come back to the greatness of God even more when they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people together, they gathered against them to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. They recognize God is the sovereign God. I mean, think about it, church. Think of the Pacific Ocean. Think of the Pacific Ocean. It is just so big, so big. 
God made it with his breath. And the whole planet is a speck in the Milky Way. Billions of galaxies. And the whole Milky Way is a speck in the universe. 400 billion galaxies. Is he not so big? We come to the sovereign Lord. Church, I don't know there's another principle more important than this on prayer. Remember who you're talking to. Remember the greatness of God. I often start my prayers very early by taking one of the praise God-centered passages in Scripture that I have made a list of, and I just go over it again, reminding myself of the greatness of God, the greatness of God. He's so great. Okay, fourth principle. Now, what is the Spirit saying to you? Fourth principle, verse 25, the part I didn't read just then. Okay, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they begin quoting Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. They're quoting Psalm 2. Now, do you see what they're doing? They're praying Scripture. That is one of the best ways to pray. If you're not sure what to pray, open your Bible to a psalm or some other passage, and start reading and praying it. You know, you read a little phrase, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Oh, yes, Lord, I do. You're my strength. Lord God, you give me power. You get me through, and I love you. And then you open it up again, you, you read a little bit more, and you pray it. God doesn't get tired of hearing his scripture prayed back to him. He doesn't get worried of that. Pray his scripture. That's one of the best things to do, and you see that in the, in the Bible. You see passages like this quoting earlier passages. And so, fourth principle, make your prayer Scripture-infused. It's not the only way to pray, but it's, a, it's an important, even vital way to pray. God never tires of hearing us claim the promises in the Bible. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to strengthen the people of God. Fourth principle, make your prayer Scripture infused. I got one more. Fifth principle involves what they pray and what they do not pray. I mean, let's, let's just again remember, you know, they're not in a nice, safe church like this. They're in a place where they've been threatened by the guys who killed kill Jesus. This is Annas, Caiaphas, all the big dogs of the Jewish society at the time. What do they pray? Okay, verse 29, we see it. They come to their, to their ask. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If I'd been in that situation, this is the way I would have prayed. I mean, just being honest. Oh, God, keep me safe. Keep me safe, Lord. Protect us. Lord, judge them. Take them out. 
You know, that kind of prayer is all through the Psalms. You can pray that. But here, at this critical juncture in kingdom history, when their lives are actually on the line, the prayer that came from their hearts was, Oh God, they've told us that we're going to be killed if we keep preaching Jesus. May we preach him even more. And Lord, while you're at it, do some signs and wonders and heal people for the glory of Jesus. Now, don't you love it the way they are so God-centered rather than self-centered? And I don't know about you guys, but I'm just convicted off my socks because I am so far from that, praying like this. Oh, God. And I'm just so challenged right now today. Oh, God. Give me boldness and courage to speak up for Jesus. Give me boldness. Stretch out your hand to do signs and wonders. Fifth prayer, fifth principle. Make your prayers God-centered, not self-centered. The closer we get to Jesus, the more our prayer will be God-centered, not self-centered. Okay, what happens then? Here's the best part. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. And God was saying to them, I hear you. Let me shake this room. I hear you your prayers, I am right here with you. Did that mean there would be no more suffering? First Christian martyr Stephen comes a few chapters later. That doesn't mean that God's going to make it easy for us. But he is going to let us know, I am with you right here. Just like Job at the end of the book, God didn't make it all easy for him, or even explain why he went through it. He just let Job know, I am right here with you. And if we know God is with us, we can bear anything. We can bear anything. By the way, verse 31 brings up all three themes of the book of Acts that I've been talking about. First one, spread of the gospel. Remember, they speak the word of God with boldness. Secondly, the power of the Spirit. It says they were all filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, uh, by people who pray, they, they were after they had prayed. So all three things in one verse. The gospel spreads, and it will spread here at Wood's Edge and with the church in Houston as we are filled with the Spirit, and as we speak the Word of God boldness, the kingdom will advance. Okay. Church, God is showing us at Wood's Edge today on December 1st, 2019. This is how you do church. Now, five principles in this passage. And so let me revisit where we started. What is the Spirit of God impressing on your heart? Is there one of those five that you just, you know, you just, the Spirit just spoke to you? Yep, that's the one. That's to me. Or, or it could be, you know, all five because certainly all, all five of them we can grow in. But, but let, let me just go over them again briefly. You ask the Spirit, Lord, which one's for me? Okay, here they are. Make prayer your first response. Pray together with God's people. 
remember the greatness of God. Make your prayer scripture-infused. Make your prayer, five, God-centered, not self-centered. And then respond to God. Okay, this is how we're going to do it this morning. We don't do this, but we're going to do it today. We're going to, as an expression of our desperateness, we're going to kneel. Now, some of you physically, you can't kneel. Don't worry about it. Kneel in your heart. The rest of you, I know, I don't ask you to do that. Do it anyway. Get out on your knees. And, pray, and I'm going to lead us in a couple of prayers. So if you're on the front row, you got it easy. The, the others of us, it's hard to, you know, there's not much room in there. Okay, I'm going to ask you to pray for two things. Here's the first one. Take the biggest burden in your life right now and bring it to God desperately. Biggest burden right now. You pray. Lord, all over the room, as we bring these God-sized challenges to you, please hear our prayers. Everyone, Lord God, rescue, deliver, heal, oh God. Okay, that's a burden in our own life. Secondly, let's look beyond ourselves to the lost, the lost on your street, in your neighborhood, in our city, your top five. Let's pray as they did for the lost. Pray for our city, for your top five, for the neighborhood. Pray that God would save people. Go ahead. Lord, we pray for these people around us who are going to an actual hell for all eternity. Oh God, save them. All over the room, Lord God, hear our prayers. And Lord, this Christmas season, may every one of us speak up boldly for the gospel and may we see at least one of our people we're reaching out to come to Christ. And may Houston become a great city of God. Lord, these are our prayers. We pray them together. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.